The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We are stood inside an emptying Old Trafford. There's a few ground staff on the pitch just sorting it out. There's people picking up litter, some broadcasters packing away their equipment and Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell are stood alongside me. We're going to react to that 0-0 draw for Manchester United against Newcastle. A frustrating watch. We'll also talk about the match coming up this week against Tottenham. But Andy, a frustrating 90 minutes that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. That's Richard Arnold, the leading executive of Manchester United, just walking down the main stand steps. And uh, I'm not answering the question that you've just asked me. But I, I You're think... waiting to get out, uh, Richard Arnold to get out of earshot, I think, first. Well, I'm not going to change anything that I say. I feel a little bit flat, a little bit uh, deflated after that. I think if Manchester United don't win home matches, especially when you think that United have beaten Liverpool here, beaten Arsenal here, and I know that Newcastle are much improved. I thought their defence was excellent. But my overriding feeling at the moment is you deflated. I think that was a feeling inside Old Trafford as well. It felt a little bit flat. And the team has got to take the chances. When Marcus didn't put that header in at the end, I just thought, oh, no, it's just one of them. First draw of the season, that. That's the first Someone draw. was saying after the podcast the other day that United don't draw games. I can't remember who that was, Andy. Yeah, me. Um, I don't attract Miss Worlds either. So hopefully, if, if you're thinking of like reverse psychology, we might have some good news on the next podcast. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I can follow that really. Um, you know, if, if you miss Worlds out there, write into us. Um, right. <laughs> send pictures. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Andy is right in that if the Rashford chance goes in at the end there, it, it's a totally different story, isn't it? It's a last minute winner, injury time. It, it's kind of that... I mean, the atmosphere felt like it was ready. It would have exploded at that point, albeit, as Andy said, I think generally the mood was kind of, it was lacking any buoyancy around Old Trafford. Um, you know, so it didn't feel like there was a growing anticipation. I think people had started to leave, you know, um, before the end. It didn't feel like they were building up to a goal, did it really? No, they had good pressure, second half, certainly. And Tenag said that, he felt that they dominated the end of the game, which I think is probably fair. I mean, Newcastle were defending deep, weren't they? Rashford squares the ball for Fred for that chance. Could he have shot? I don't know. It... Rashford was offside, you know, as well. When the replay showed, I think he looks a yard or two offside. No, but who who are you? So I think he, I think he looked offside for the two defenders, but then Trippier at the far side. I thought he might have been playing him on. Ooh, interesting. I've thrown a curveball in there, haven't I? I mean, listen, we didn't get the VAR lines up, did we? So we'll never know for sure. And if the goal goes in, you know, I guess it would have been chalked off if he was even a toenail offside. But um, nonetheless, I think at least Rashford introduced to the game did give United an extra it made a difference. Yeah, it, it, it gave a threat in behind that sort of pace and, and kind of determination that he's brought in, in, his, in his game this season. But yeah, he obviously has to score that header, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, he was left out of the starting lineup because he was a little bit ill, Marcus Rashford. He's obviously been hanging out wherever I have because I've got a bit of the lurgy at the moment. Andy and Laurie are just taking a step further back at you this mean, point. Yeah, you've only just told us this now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He should have scored, definitely. I mean, there's quite a bit to reflect on still, isn't there, despite the draw. It's a different attack for United today with Cristiano Ronaldo starting his first Premier League game since Brentford only his second start of the season wasn't best pleased when he was taking off either was he? He's a forward and he didn't score so I think it, it's that simple I think he was just on the right side of 
Um, not shown his frustration too much. Uh, I saw Eric Tenard go to him and he didn't blank him. That would have been a talking point, for example. He also made sure that he clapped him all the way off the pitch. You know, the he took his time, by the way, didn't he? Well, I think he was sort of you know begrudgingly coming off, wasn't he? Because yeah. clearly he felt like he was perhaps going to get a penalty or score or, or do something. Although, I don't know. I'll let Andy finish his answer in a second, but he was offside a couple of times when you thought he didn't need to be and it, it didn't feel fluid, did it, in attack? He doesn't look quite... At it, does he, Ronaldo? I thought he came back too deep too often uh, because he's desperate to score, he's desperate to make a, an impact and I like that about him, but we're talking after a, a nil-nil and it's not just Cristiano today. I think Manchester United only managed two shots on target in 90 minutes. It's just not good enough, is it? I think 63% of possession, Newcastle also had two shots. Manchester United were better in the second half. Newcastle had much better chances in, in the first half and I know we're going to focus on Manchester United because that's what this podcast is about but I thought their two central uh, defenders especially Botman were fantastic they just look really comfortable huge aggressive team don't think they play particularly good football but they're an, an improving and well coached team and given the finances and resources behind them we're going to see games against Newcastle United who've got a terrible record here get much, much tougher. One win in 39 visits here for Newcastle before today, and obviously that's one in 40 now. Um, the wingers as well, Laurie, it was Jane and Sancho and Anthony who were the choice today for Eric Ten Hag. You wrote with Mark Carey on The Athletic about Anthony this week. First question, why was the article not called One Trick Tony? <laughs> we missed a trick there, didn't we? <laughs> Speaking of tricks, um, I, I don't like the headlines. I'm, I'm at, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll let you off then. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing my editors under a bus here, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got quite a bit of stick for that article. Did you? Why? Yeah. Well, I think people, you know, justifiably thought, you know, and maybe I'm wrong, but three games, three goals, and you're sort of slagging him off. Um, I wasn't meaning to be you know, overly critical of him. It was kind of an observation that speaking to people who had watched him you know, from his way back in Sao Paulo days that said that his reliance on his left foot is a pronounced feature. Okay, a lot of players have very strong, you know, Lionel Messi has a very strong left foot. Uh, Phil Foden, we saw in the stats that we published on the article, he's, his passes, uh, 90% are with his left foot. Uh, whereas Anthony, I think it's like 80, 80%. So it's, you know, it's, it's not as pronounced in that situation. And, you know, no one has a go at Phil Foden for being one-footed. But I think the point really was that, and we saw it really today, he doesn't going to say, do you think the feedback would be different if you'd written the article after today? Well, I don't, I'll see how you, you, what you say to this. I nearly tweeted it again and just sort of tried to explain the article. <laughs> Dug your heels well, in deeper. I know, but I see that you sort of, you're sort of fishing for, for insults there, aren't you, in that way? So I thought, no, I'll leave it and maybe leave it a few more weeks. And then if it continues, then maybe I'll post it again. But there was certainly a couple of, I mean, he beat, he had, he had Dan Byrne on a booking uh, from the first half and you could tell that was going to be an interesting tussle and then he, he beat him twice in the second half where clearly Byrne has kind of let him go because he doesn't want to get sent off but then he checks back onto his left foot uh, and then crosses it in and the crosses were, 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 were bad anyway you know so th there's that to improve on but can he, can, he not, can he not go on the outside and then come back it, it, it does feel like that's his default and maybe it's because it's a new league and he uh, just wants to kind of trust in what he knows for sure what can work you know I watched, I've watched all his goals for Ajax and Sao Paulo I've watched all his assists for Ajax and that you know cutting back and left foot across does produce you know Haller's got a couple of glancing headers um, but I do feel that the variation would just 
allow would, would put the defenders in a different mindset of how they can perhaps shackle him because it looked like Matt Target for example when he did replace Dan Byrne he just knew that as soon as he comes back I'm just going to have to block his, the cross I know what's coming so you know early days and he has scored three goals and he was the one with the two shots on target in this game um, could have scored in the first half um, good save by Nick Pope and then it was a sort of weaker shot again cutting back onto his left and shooting um, so He's obviously a threat. He's a very skillful, talented player. And there was a couple of lovely moments where he beat a man with very minimal kind of uh, sort of tell ahead of doing so. Like the dummy to beat Dan Byrne in the first half, I think it was, was, yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, so he's, he's clearly a quality player. But, you know, obviously with the price tag, you, kind of, you, you sort of want a full, fully rounded player. Um, and so that was, that was kind of where the piece came from. And yeah, I think those questions are still there after today. Yeah, and Carl's written a piece as well with Mark Carey too about Jaden Sancho. He seems to like that that pairing, Eric Ten Hag, Luke Shaw and Jaden Sancho together. It obviously made a bit of a difference off the bench in the week against Ammonia, but again, you still want more from Jaden, don't you really? Well, first on Shaw, I think Shaw's playing well. I think he's looking on it. I think he'd be honest enough to admit that he deserved to lose his place in the team. And Jaden Sancho isn't playing well and he's lost his place in the team. I think that Eric Tenag would like him to be um, a regular in his his best starting eleven, but you've got to give more than what he's giving. And same, we can make comparisons with Anthony. What do you think's side. missing from Jaden? Then I think that someone with his talent should be running at and beating players more often than he does. The most revealing moment in recent weeks with Jaden Sancho, and I don't know him, I don't know if this relates to confidence, was when he played the ball back in Cyprus. Manchester United went from an attacking position to him playing the ball back to a single 22-year-old player who fumbled and that led to a goal. And I couldn't understand why playing against Ammonia, because probably a better example over the, um, the, the two legs, um, if you're not running at Cypriot players or players from a Cypriot team who, with respect, are not the best in the world, that might show something about your confidence he's had good moments this season and the way he took the goal against Liverpool here at Old Trafford whoa but just compare the atmosphere to that night in comparison to what, what we've had today so I think he's one of several players who, who's not firing on I think United need to be more consistent as a team and also individuals do as well yet at the same time it's a team still in transition not at the level of the teams that have uh, like Manchester City I wanted to say that then without saying the words Manchester City but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't and when we saw that in, in the derby so I'm a little bit disappointed because he came with such a fanfare and there was a good piece in The Athletic uh, this week which talked about how his involvement in the games in the attacks is significantly less and this isn't an improving force it's, it's a declining one so I think he needs to do a lot more if he's going to be an attacking player for Manchester, a successful Manchester United team, as opposed to one which finishes six again. Yeah, fans here in the UK may not be able to see the 90 minutes of this game, to be fair, Laurie, over the course of the match. Do you think United missed Christian Eriksen? Yeah, I think he was probably the pivotal figure today, um, because if he's in that midfield, um, replacing Fred, really, who, you know, didn't have a great game, did he? Um, I think what started the game quite frequently was getting into those attacking thirds but then the, the pass wasn't weighted correctly so I think uh, I think Ronaldo to Sancho one time was was heavy heavy pass Sancho to, to Ronaldo himself uh, you know Fernandez maybe had, had one that was astray um, so I think Ericsson just brings that kind of composure um, and and the way he can pick passes is, is you know um, 
it's just a huge benefit to this team. Partic- I mean, particularly from deep, really. Um, but and you even looked at in the second half. I mean, Martinez, the um, the, the Rashford chance ultimately started from him picking that pass through the middle to, to Luke Shaw, which is something you'd, you'd hope Ericsson could have done more frequently. I think it was only in, late in the game that Martinez managed to sort of step up and, and do that himself when Newcastle dropped deep. So it just sort of shows having someone of that kind of precise passing in the middle could have just opened up Newcastle more because they, they were the tough team to break down. They've got a good defence, but you feel that United could have pushed and pulled better than they did. Laurie, you've also been causing yet more controversy on social media with some uh, arguments over penalties. Before we talk about that, how fascinating was it, Eric Ten Hag in that press conference, sidestepping any comment, no matter what any of the journalists in the room tried, to talk about any of the decisions or the officials at all? Yeah. Um, First time we've seen him sort of angry at officials, isn't it? Yeah, it's anyway, he was uh, deep in conversation with Craig Pawson at the end of the game. Um, he was remonstrating with the fourth official in the first half. So Eddie Howe and his assistant uh, Tyndall were very much pressing uh, their complaints for a penalty when Callum Wilson went down uh, from Rafa Alvaran, which I think probably was a penalty. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Potentially, potentially a softer one, but you know, still. Uh, Ten Hag, I think, saw that and thought, I need to get myself involved here with the fourth official because I can't be letting them have a free run of it. And there was, I think, an issue where Callum Wilson fouled a United player and he thought maybe uh, it should have been a booking. So I think he just used that as, an, as, a, as a means to get into the fourth official. After the game, yeah, I mean, what, four or five questions about the penalties? Because that seems to be one of the big talking points, um, certainly amongst United fans on social media that have been watching the game. Ten Hag just wouldn't get drawn. I, I don't mind that as a manager because I think, you know, what particular benefit do you have? Clearly, you might want to put a bit of pressure on the officials if you want to go that way. Um, Ten Hag doesn't, I guess, want to step into that and, and wants us to write our own opinions uh, as sort of journalists and observers. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was he was more forthcoming about his own team, and this is a, this I think is a slight sea change from what he's been like previously because he was more positive. He was saying it was a good performance. And we pressed them really well. Um, we broke Newcastle, um, but we didn't kill them. Um, he said they had cramp at the end and they're a very physical team. The physical point was interesting, actually, wasn't it? So he was insisting that United had done enough in that game to win it in terms of winning the physical battle, yeah. running more, pressing more, making Newcastle sort of struggle towards the end. And he said they're one of the fittest teams in the league as well. Interesting that he's thinking about that even. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they made five subs as well, Newcastle. United made one, which I think is a telling you know, example of what he feels like he's got on the bench. You know, Kobe Maino, 17-year-old midfielder, was on the bench because Tomane was suspended and Ericsson was ill. And I think he's a really promising player, by the way. So that, I think that's a, a sort of warranted um, inclusion. But it, it sort of shows that scratch beneath the surface and, and this squad, the options aren't really there to, to really affect a game. Um, so and, and yeah, so I think he, he was probably happy in the fact that you know he only could make one sub and actually United finished the game much the stronger. Um, but on the penalties, clearly he felt that I guess at least one was a penalty. I think he also felt that the Ronaldo goal um, should have stood. I mean, I don't really see how that can be justified because you know he's obviously about to take the kick, the goalkeeper. I know you know the defenders touched it, and the one caveat I probably would say on that is that a couple of times when Newcastle had deep free kicks in their own half. Um, Trippier was about to take it and, and Pope ran up and, and kind of nudged the ball forward so that Trippier could then run on with it and, and go long. And that 
I don't know if that's a specific tactic against Man United, but so maybe Ronaldo's thinking, well, one of you's already taken it sort of sneakily and therefore I'm going to nip in. But, you know, we've had it here, haven't we, where United have scored a goal um, from a, a quick corner where, was it Giggs and Rooney that, you know... Sort it was of, a nanny one against Tottenham, I want to say as well, was there? Where he, where he sort of nipped in like that? There's definitely... Vidic, I feel like Vidic a glancing header against Chelsea was... Oh, another corner, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so... So yes, and, and they, that that goal didn't stand. So at least this consistency, you know. Uh, but clearly, Ten Hag was annoyed. Yeah, the 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 beef that you're sort of describing on on social media, I I don't know. I just thought the Sancho one. But everyone's telling me that the Sancho one is is a stonewall penalty. Watching it live, and I think you disagree with me, don't you? But. I thought he exaggerated the dive, he'd overrun the ball and he kind of felt, this is my only chance to make something out of this attacking move. It goes back to what Andy was saying about confidence. He'd kind of done the wrong thing in, in what he was dribbling at. And, and then, but listen, if he clips him, I guess it is a penalty. Go on, tell me I'm wrong. Well, I thought it was a penalty, but Andy? I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought there was elements of desperation as the, the game went on. The Casemiro one, definitely. United. Yeah, and you know, we're better in, in the second half. Newcastle got the, the best defence in the league along with um, Manchester City. I thought they were going to lose one of the defenders very early on. And I think this is a point worth making. I think Schnark went off behind the Stratford end and it showed how small Old Trafford is because the, the pitch, and we can see it right now, it falls away quite steeply at the sides and he, he could have hurt himself. I think him and Casemiro went flying um, towards the, the advertising um, hoardings. And I think with Ten Hag not being drawn on the referees, I think he's probably been advised to say, uh, if you say anything, that will be tomorrow's back page news. It will be blown up. You know, you won't have said that you disagree with the opinion. It will be Ten Hag slams and, yeah, officials. And um, I listened to another Premier League manager yesterday just totally be refusing to be drawn as well on criticising the referee. He basically said, I disagree. And kept it like that. So I don't know whether there has been something said internally. You know, don't come out and hammer the referees. I think fans are always going to talk about it. I find um, talk about refereeing decisions pretty boring, if I'm honest. Um, I didn't. Especially when you missed a chance like Fred's yeah. and a chance like Rashford's as well, maybe. Yeah. I think Fred had four shots and not one of them hit the target. I was just looking. It's that one had to, didn't it, really? Yeah. Whether Rashford was onside, offside, whether Trippier's toenail played him on or not. Yeah, yeah, it's. We're going to keep going round here because it's just a, it's nil-nil at home against Newcastle United. <laughs> then again, I sense that if this game would have been played a year ago, they probably would have got a late winner. There was that air around, yeah. you know, the, 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 those Villa games and it was all the slide towards Oli Gunnar losing his job. It's actually a year today since that first alarming defeat against Leicester, the 4-2 one away. I think the first time that United conceded four against someone and it continued from there. So it's, it's the time of year. In fact... That game today continued United's record of not winning a home Premier League match in October since 2018. Wow. This is the month of discontent here at Old Trafford for some reason. Did you find that stat? No, it was on the BBC. I was going to say, I was going to pull you both up here. How long did you take watching all of Anthony's goals and assists? <laughs> and what excuse did you... St- he was at a party last night in the kitchen on his phone watching Anthony's assists from 2017. Oh, I've got him here. He's, just, he's, he's only 17 at this point. Come yeah. here and watch this. I've just found him doing an assist for the under eights in Sao Paulo. <laughs> just give me nine hours, love. I'll be coming through. Oh, here he is at age 11. It's looking good. <laughs> it, it's all in the name of research, isn't it, Laurie? I just thought I've got to do it right, eh? How long did it take? It, it took a good. Well, it took a. 
probably about five hours on Y Scout, um, and then you've got to draw the little graphics, haven't you? You know, highlight and listen. May, maybe it's you know I'm, I'm kind of attempting to do things that you know people that are much more experienced and, and, and knowledgeable about these things are looking at, thinking he's not seen that correctly at all. But from a kind of you know a luddite view of things, I, I thought it was graphics. kind of. I'd love to see an image of your graphics. Um, we were in the press box today. Somebody came up to me at half time and said. Do you want um, a cocktail at half time? <laughs> um, what would Laurie be having? And I just shook my head. Said that you know you, you couldn't afford to buy what he would be ordering. I was on the uh, Sailor Jerry's and ginger beer last night. Just making names up of drinks. No, I used to be on Sailor Jerry's years ago. I know, I've heard the rum. Ta- I've heard a Taylor That's why Swift. my nose is bent. Right. I've heard a Taylor Swift, but what what's a Taylor Jerry? It's rum. <laughs> Sailor Jerry's. Oh, Sailor Jerry. I was going to say. Oh, rum. Look, listen, I'll have rum. My, my, my dad. Never drank beer because he didn't like the taste. When we were four years old, we moved from Manchester for 18 months to the Bahamas, right? Did you? Honestly, seriously. My dad you lived in the Bahamas? Honestly. My dad and all the family were footballers. So we went from being a semi-pro player in Manchester and being a semi-pro to being one of the best players on the island in Bahamas. How has this never come out before? Where the Bahamians introduced him to dark rum which he drank until the day that he died and he used to play against visiting american teams such as new york cosmos with all their star players so yeah i can just about remember it in 1978 moved there wow yeah and and, and rum so that that was that was my dad's drink so i take back my uh, my mistake about the type of rum that you're having i am i am a rum connoisseur and i've been to a rum plantation as well but I'd say if your dad was here, he'd be ashamed of you calling it Taylor Jerry's. <laughs> he'd be absolutely disgusted with me. I think the best rum comes from uh, Havana, if any sponsors are listening. Um, <laughs> what are these sweets called? Are they called Ever- Everton Mints? Yeah. One of the United Stewards, I like called Webby, gave me this at half time. And I can't eat it because we're doing a podcast. You've just reminded me in, in steward-related news. Yeah. Do you remember our mate here who'd, who'd gone out on that date and he was yeah. trying to get us to finish off because he'd... She's pregnant. With, with that, from that date? Yeah. Wow. Um, Webby is an old United fan who used to hitch to games in the 70s. Um, overnight, he'd go to like Northampton away and he'd stand at um, a roundabout in Altrincham and just give himself all weekend to hitch to a United away game. And he's a real character. He does Rod Stewart impressions. But once, <laughs> I'm not going to get too sad. It's quite random. Here. This is a good one, right? Altrincham obviously a good team, known as the Manchester United of non-league football, great cup winning, uh, cup runs in the 70s, 80s, and they played Everton here at Old Trafford. I hope I'm not going to lose Webby's job here, but he pretended to be an Altrincham player, and of course, none of the stewards recognised any Altrincham players, got into the dressing room. When was this? 78, 79. Went in, took all his clothes off, climbed in the players' bath, and when all the Altrincham players came through, who he was mates with, and as proof, he had a picture of him out of the paper with some of them. He was just like the, um, the bez of the Altrincham team. And as they came off the pitch, having lost to Everton, he was just waiting in the bath with no clothes on. Well, obviously, he's not going to be fully clothed in the bath, is it? He's now one of Manchester United's main stewards, and he handed me this Everton mint, which I'm going to eat when we've stopped doing this podcast. Life comes at you fast, doesn't it? It does. The statute of limitations on that one, I think, has run out, so I think you're fine, Andy. I mean, how many tangents were there in that section? I hope, I hope, you, I hope you kept up, listeners, because there was actually one point on the penalties I was just going to come back to. Oh, here we go. I thought Ronaldo's probably was a pen. 
Trippier on Ronaldo. I thought he bundled him over. Clumsy, but there we go. What we really need to do is to have a look at referee Craig Pawson's last 50 penalty decisions, Laurie, uh, and just, just see whether he's been consistent across the board. I don't know if you're up for it. Well, also, it, the times that he's been a VAR, you know, uh, think about those times as well. You know, there's all different manners, so I think you're onto something there. Okay, well, if you want to read Laurie's piece that's coming up this week on Craig Pawson and his 50 penalty decisions on The Athletic, you can have a look at that, I'm sure, at some point. If you're not a subscriber, you can do so now and pay just £1 a month for the first six months by signing up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, um, I feel like I should apologise at this point because um, I've come within a kick of Scott McTominay's boot of watching three nil-nil draws in four days because I was at Leicester Crystal Palace yesterday as well. So... I've had a great weekend. Um, Andy, you have seen some goals this weekend, though, because you were at the women's game earlier on. Did you leave it 3-0? I did, and I thought it was a good experience. The, the crowd numbers, I know they dipped a little bit last season. I don't know the official attendance, but four or 5,000 at Lee. Uh, I don't like them playing at Lee, I'll be honest. I think Manchester United should build a small stadium right behind Old Trafford. I think the, the synergy of playing a, a women's game or a 21s game, even before... Uh, a first team well, today game. that could have been done in it theory brilliant yeah. Barcelona used to do it with the B team they had a B team stadium opposite Camp Now and people would go and watch two games of football it's just now, I was stuck in traffic on the way to watch Manchester United women thinking this is ridiculous why, why is this game even being played there but uh, Ella Toon got, got the first uh, two they played Brighton and Hove Albion uh, it was a, a real positive experience I think the I think they went top of the league yeah they did um, after because I, I couldn't watch the full game because I had to get back to Old Trafford. But if you've not been to watch the women's team, and I don't watch them every week, but good experience, lots of families there, good little singing section of people singing different songs there, and, and the standards are high. I think the women's uh, team is in a good place at Manchester United. Yeah, it's Ella Toon's first goal since the European final in the summer for her. I saw a lovely interview with her this week as well, Laurie, where she said she can't walk down a street in Manchester anymore. That's a measure of how it's come on. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, it, and justifiably so as well, I mean, because she's obviously got a great personality. I think that's what appeals to people as much as the football. Um, it's great to see. And I, I mean, I love that Andy, two matches in one day, you know, this guy obviously loves football. <laughs> I watched another one this morning. I watched my little nephews playing. What yeah. score was that? Um, I'm not going to repeat the score because they absolutely hammered a team and I was watching it thinking this actually isn't a good idea that this game is being played because it was like 12-0 or something like you that. You just said the score now. I said it was like 12-0. It was probably like 13-0. Maybe even more. 
so it was nice to watch my nephews today and yesterday. The weather's been great in Manchester this weekend, hasn't it? It's lovely to see fields full of young boys and girls playing football in organised teams. So I've watched a lot. I even watched uh, Northwich 1878 against Trafford yesterday as well. I just did, yeah. So how many days have you been here for now? <sighs> been, well, Wednesday night I watched Barca Inter. Thursday I watched United Ammonia. Didn't watch a game of football on, on Friday. Why? What were you doing? I what did it on Friday? I saw my family. <laughs> Saturday I watch matches. Yeah, I like you watch football while you seeing your family. I love watching football. It's not just a game. I like the way that a football club stands in the community. And I want to go to all ninety-two league grounds. I'm nearly there with it, and I like seeing new stadiums and travelling around and just you know that women's game today. Just to see the people and to absorb it. And I also think as a journalist, you should do that. I think you should go to matches because you come across contacts. I don't know whether you agree, Laurie. You just meet people. You have chance conversations. You know, Richard Arnold just walked past us here. If we weren't recording that, he would have come up to us and said, "Look, we're signing Messi in January." But obviously, this podcast takes priority. Absolutely, of course it does. Before we move on then talk about Tottenham, Michael Carrick, we've been meaning to sort of mop this up on a podcast at some point across the last, what, two weeks. Um, he's not Middlesbrough manager, he's not going to be Middlesbrough manager and he was never going to be Middlesbrough manager, but you've got a bit of an update, Laurie. Yeah, well I suppose there was a moment where it seemed like he might be Middlesbrough manager. Um, he's not though, is he? He's not, no, no. He, you know, he, he held talks with them, um, I think they were really interested in, in um, you know, having a conversation with him and, and seeing if, if it could work for both them and him. Um, but yeah, he, he's not, it's not the right time for him to come back into football. Um, he had sort of 22 years as a professional from academy, playing all those times and then straight into coaching and then assistant manager and then obviously the caretaker manager for three games. And I think the glare of all that, and he'd said to his family that after retiring, he wanted to have a bit of a break. So he's de- definitely been having a, a nice time. Uh, I think he's had a holiday in, in Bali um, uh, not too long ago. So he's seeing the world, I guess, and, and enjoying himself in that way. And I think if he's going to come back into football, it, he wants it to be the right opportunity for, for him. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one, though, because he's clearly got a lot to offer the game. He's a very smart guy. You know, did well, didn't he, as, as caretaker manager for that short period when it was very turbulent. And clearly United would have liked him to stay, wouldn't they? Um, him and Kieran McKenna, rather than have um, sort of two inexperienced coaches come and assist Ralph Ranick. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. What I don't know, I, I, what do you think? Do you think he, he should come back into to management? Or is it a case of if you've done your time in football, enjoy your break? Well, I remember interviewing Carrick when he announced after the Arsenal game here, uh, was it last November time, that he was going to be leaving. Uh, and one of the key reasons he said at the time was that he wanted to spend more time with his family. So he's obviously had the chance to do that over the last few months. And if I'm allowed to admit this on the podcast, I was speaking to Pablo Zabaleta at a City game recently as well. And he had a very similar take to what it seems like Michael had, which is that when you're playing football, that is your life. You know, he's missed out on so much of his kids growing up. And actually, since he's been retired, he's had the opportunity to be around for them, to pick them up from school, to take them to school, recitals, you know, family parties. He's been there for all of it. So, and these lads are not under financial pressure anymore either. They, they've done the badges. It's not like they need a payday at any point. They've, they've earned a lot of money during the football career. So I guess you do have to be careful, don't you, about how you, how you sort of decide to progress with your coaching because you could end up being in exactly the same situation, being away from the family, and as Gary Neville's shown, I suppose, you know, it can last five minutes. Paul Scholes the same. I spoke to Gary about whether he wanted to be a manager. And your point about the financial side of it is an interesting one. When you're at that level or Michael Carrick's level, you're made for life financially. 
So this isn't like it used to be where you needed to carry on working. Top players who won European Cups here became landlords in, in pubs. It's so distanced from that now. So do they need the, the grief of leaving the family home to start on a lower management managerial rung where in a job where the average shelf life is 18 months to be constantly criticised you've got to really really want to do it so you're talking Middlesbrough they just got rid of Chris Wilder he became a manager because he needed the money and he was totally driven and he was a Sheffield United fan but he managed in non-league he really worked his way up and up and up it's funny isn't it they played here this year they brought 10,500 they knocked Manchester United out of the FA Cup really turns doesn't it pretty quickly and that's a good example of it and as Laurie says Carrick did very well in that time as caretaker manager here his statistical record is the best of any Manchester United manager ever but they do miss out because they're always traveling there are more games than ever players are expected to be in in hotels the night before matches that stuff like that didn't used to be the norm either they can't do things like go skiing um, I know you'll be getting your tiny violins out and saying rich man can't ski, but you know if he wants do you go to, skiing, Andy? I'd like to go once a year, and I could do it better when I was eighteen than I can now because now I know I go for a couple of days because now I think if I fall off that mountain, uh, I've got two kids. But at eighteen, you can't totally watch football famous. for at least two weeks if that happens. Yeah, me. Um, once took my brother and he just thought, I don't need to learn any of this. He just went straight to the top and went bang, flying down, you know, smashing into people. But I think the footballers, you know, look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's, he's had offers. I think for them it's about the boredom. It's still doing something. I've spoke to, I could name several players who've played for Manchester United who've had offers and just said, no thanks. Uh, it's about keeping them active and knowing what the personality is like. In some cases, their partners, their wives have said, get out of the house, you're doing my head in. David Moy's wife definitely said that to him several times in his career. All right, you've had your three weeks, go and get a job and get out the house. Even in COVID, I'm sick of seeing you go and do something useful. So he hired a van and started doing deliveries around Preston. And people would say to him, you look like that football manager, David Moyes. Obviously, it was. So they make they make. Did he actually money. do that? He absolutely did that. Delivering what? Um, food parcels for elderly people during COVID. Yeah, oh, good on him. Did that. Yeah, he, well, he did, he did that. People genuinely did say to him, "You look like that Scottish football manager. You know that one who was rubbish at Man United? <laughs> That's me." <laughs> I, I went on a stag do a few years ago to Benidorm, and the stag's father-in-law was a spitting image of David Moyes. It was not long after he'd had his stint here as United manager, and we were in a bar in Benidorm, and Andy was up doing karaoke, or Moisey as we all called him for that weekend, and completely spontaneously, the bar broke into a chorus of David Moyes' football genius, and I got a hand on my shoulder and it was David's press officer from Everton who said to me, should you be singing that, son? Really? Oh, dear. <laughs> that is really wild. Getting what, what, Brian? Yeah, no, it was Darren Griffiths. Was it? Yeah. Right, interesting getting clocked there. <laughs> that is wild. What are the chances? I thought when Andy said that, that little 
lovely detail about Moyes during COVID that he meant he'd like got a job as an Amazon delivery driver or something, you know, like I was I was going with that as well, like Sainsbury's or something. Yeah. We should it's have, your groceries. We should have a section as well, the Andy Mitten tangent section where <laughs> he's on fire today, isn't he? I, I love it. This is where you get the golden stuff because you kinda of just let it percolate a bit and Andy comes out with this story that's just plucked from, you know, the, the, the library of his brain that he's got so much of. Um Really quick one on Carrick again, and this is quite funny, you know, obviously some people really enjoy being around the family. I know that Andy, you know, comes over here and goes to football just to, you know, not see his family. But um, <laughs> Carrick was in the away end at Goodison Park yeah, yeah. with his son JC, uh, which I thought was like a nice, you know, so there's that kind of synergy, I suppose, between he's doing the football thing, but also he's having his, his son along, whereas obviously he couldn't have him, you know, in the dugout with him, could he? No, and speaking of family, Luke Shaw's just on the pitch with what looks like, is that his son maybe? Yeah. Oh, that, that, that's lovely. And I've seen it um, when Paul Scholes stopped playing. He could go to the pub with his mates and just do normal things. And I think sometimes the normal things in life are the things that you, the best things in life are free. You appreciate them. And that's the, that's the type of things that they miss. And also the partners, um, footballers' wives have, have got an image. Look at his lad running there. He's got his arms in the air. Just running up towards the halfway line. I know the child of one very successful player here said I hate Manchester United because they, they take daddy away from me and that wasn't said in jest that was like I don't see my dad because he's always playing football and obviously they lived in a beautiful house and they had wonderful holidays but you know, the, the demands on them and even not just the players are obviously really well remunerated there's a whole support staff who travel with the team and it's non-stop no, we'll, we'll go on the pre-season tours and we'll have a drink, we'll have a good time, won't we? And obviously we're working really hard if you're listening, wife. Um, but they don't even do that. Long gone are the days like in the 80s where they'd go out and have 12 pints, big sessions. Can't do anything now because there's phones everywhere just filming them. Whereas, you know, Laurie and I can go out and have a nice pint. Right, let's talk Tottenham then. Um, some idiot thought that the game was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and has just been looking up the fact that they've won all seven home games so far. But Laurie, I believe their away form's a bit mixed, thankfully. That sounds like it was me that was the idiot. Was it not? <laughs> Listen, I'm not naming any names, but there's three people in. It wasn't me or Andy that did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're in good form, aren't they, Spurs? I mean, they've, they've been more um, functional, I suppose, than perhaps Tottenham fans might ideally like. I suppose it's an Antonio Conte team and you know we, we think back to you know that sliding doors moment it probably wasn't really a sliding doors because United really didn't entertain Antonio Conte did they but people were sort of thinking could he have you know managed Manchester United I think we're seeing now with Tottenham the kind of football that we would have got interesting um, clearly it, it, it does it works um, but I don't know if it's you know the most thrilling um, he's got options though hasn't he he's got a good squad uh, we spoke about the options that Eric Ten Hag didn't have today well you know uh, Dejan Kulusevski was injured against Everton, but Richarlison starts. Son starts. Richarlison's injured as well. Now I think he's. They said he's going to miss United. Okay, so okay, that'll be interesting then. If Kulusevski and uh, Richarlison are both injured, then I suppose that you know gives something to be decided upon with with who is that third uh, forward. Um, but clearly, you know, Kane and Son have come here before and, and torn United to shreds, so um, they can't be overlooked. Although I don't know if they're still quite clicking. Although I, I saw a, a start. I think they've assisted. 
one or another 50 times now uh, for Tottenham, which is a pretty amazing relationship they've got. So um, they've obviously got to keep an eye on that. They're a hard team to be. They've got Hoiberg and Benton Cohen midfield, um, you know, solid midfielders. Um, Conte will be a whirling dervish on the sidelines. Um, you know, so I think if United can... If they can sneak a win there, that'll be that'll be really big. I think that's what it'll come down to. I can't see you know any kind of you know blitz from United. Um, I don't think Spurs will, will go run away with it either. Though I think it, it could be a similar game to today as we've seen against Newcastle. In terms of the team, uh, obviously there was a few changes today. I think there was four from the last league game, uh, three from the midweek game against Ammonia, which obviously wasn't necessarily a absolute first choice eleven going into that match. What do you think he can do? Marcus Rashford comes back, I guess, but. I'm not even sure if any of the players who are missing today, like Martial, would, would necessarily be available. So it's going to have to be more of the same, isn't it? McTominay's back from a ban, I suppose. And I, I guess Christian Eriksen's illness, we don't know how severe that is. So maybe there will be more options for him. I think it'll be very similar. Maybe Eriksen for Fred, maybe Rashford for Ronaldo. But pretty much as, as we saw, I think that... Uh, Varane had a, had a decent game I think the de- defence is looking pretty solid would be nice to have another option at right back I know Tottenham scored six here um, during Covid but some of the best nights at Old Trafford in recent years have, have been beating Tottenham here obviously beat them away Ronaldo hat-trick here last yeah. year as well wasn't yeah. it yeah and um, I remember one I think in 2019 uh, a winner yeah and Conte's clearly got them playing for him it's his way or no way uh, they're in this fantastic stadium with the best training ground in the country and they might even be in danger of winning a trophy in the next decade. But if Tottenham win here, and I don't think they will, they'll go 10 points ahead of Manchester United. And when I look at the league table, it just worries me a bit. United would have the game in hand, but there's a bit of a gap. And even though it's still very early, you're going to start seeing if things go against Manchester United, that fourth spot is the only one that you can reach because I don't think Manchester United winning the league this year at all um, Liverpool had a terrible start to the season whether they start making it up or not what score are they at the moment against City I'd, I'd, I've just blanked City out my brain mate honestly I've just decided I'm going to be a happier human it's still nil-nil just into the second half I mean yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a crucial match against Tottenham because that would begin to feel like an unassailable lead, wouldn't it, really? And then you are beginning then to play for, for fourth place and only fourth place. Chelsea looked better. They had another win today. Arsenal don't show any signs of slowing down either. So, yeah, I mean, these two matches against Tottenham and Chelsea, it could be a, a three-way fight between the teams, Laurie, for a place in the Champions League or two places in the Champions League for next season. Yeah, and I think Chelsea are in a good way, you know, with Graham Potter, he seems to have got in there and kind of got them organised, doesn't he? Uh, he's made a few changes, so, you know, that is therefore looking a bit of a close shop almost if you if you, you don't maintain um, wins. Uh, and then you never know what Liverpool are going to do if they sort of spring back into life, you know. They, they could. Yeah, they've done it before. They did it in the season when we thought they were down and out and they could have... Uh, come here and United could have put them out and they, they ended up winning 4-2 I mean I guess that depended on Mo Salah coming back into full form um, so we'll see how that transpires but they, they've, they've got a good team Liverpool and, and they know how to win games so you can't discount them and, and therefore it does make it a tight squeeze into that top four I think the crowd's got to be better on Wednesday than it was today I thought it was a bit flat Is it time for an Andy Mitten call again is it? A rallying call from Mitten. No, I do. I do follow atmospheres. I think that they're important. I remember um, this this time last season. Well, I, I, 
I've not planned it. I just I thought the the strep frame was all right today. This, the, the the vocal area. I think if we look over there to the old J stand, which is now um, safe a safe standing. Didn't really hear them today. And then I looked at the three thousand Geordies, and I could hear them. Now to the left of them, K stand used to be one of the most vocal areas of this ground. I sat in there for years. Row sixteen, seat one hundred, block two three six, and. There wasn't really a lot there. And he, even in relatively recent years, you'd have a group of fans at the back that call themselves K-Stand Top Left, right by the away fans. And didn't like it today when Newcastle fans were singing songs like, uh, it's nice to know you're here, we can see you sneaking out. I just thought it was a bit flat today. Mm. And it has been good this season. Really good against Liverpool, really good against Arsenal. So... We need more from the players, but I think we need more from the fans as well. And we should also say that there were some protests before the game today against the Glazers, before um, the game started, and there were also some chants um, during the game as well. Anything to add? You can say no, it's all right. Um, you weren't concentrating, you are on Twitter, weren't you? I was on Twitter just seeing how my response to uh, the Sancho penalty thing had gone down. Oh, how's it, gone, how's down? it gone down? He's yeah. come back at me again, the lad. So, uh, listen, he's, he's put a picture up of... Burn clipping uh, Sancho, um, which, you know, fine, maybe he did touch him, but I don't know, I'd, I wouldn't go off pictures personally, I'd go off full footage or watching it live. Um, so, yeah, no, the, the, the fans, there was, there was anti, you know, stand up if you hate Glazers came out again, um, and I think that's a, a, an important thing to kind of mention, you know, not, not hatred, we don't, don't want to kind of flag that up too much, but I think the fact that there is a strong feeling, you know, against the ownership still that, that persists and when we'll keep on going, I think, throughout the full season. Okay, we'll leave it there then. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. For the first six months, go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But from Andy, Laurie and I at Old Trafford, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for your company, guys, as always. And we'll see you on the next one after Tottenham. Bye-bye. I hope this recording's worked, by the way. We've got a new piece of equipment today, so if you've enjoyed this podcast, I'm relieved because um, we know there's been issues in the past. So if you're listening, thanks. <laughs> the Athletic. <laughs>